This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Welcome, I'm Janice Watson. I'm delighted that you're here. We have been praying for and about these sessions for a long time. And it's my joy to have you be with me as we look to God for answers to questions that we have at this stage in our lives. Shall we pray? Father God, Lord, we're just so excited to be in your presence. We're so excited that you are our God and our Father and our lover and our friend and our King and our Lord. Father, we come to you in humility, in brokenness, because you say, if any man or woman lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, abradeth not. So we come, Lord, seeking your wisdom this morning. We come seeking your guidance. We come seeking all the gifts that you have to give us. When we come to this topic, Lord, some of us come hurting. Some of us come struggling. Some of us come in confidence. But we all come needing you. Speak to us. Lord, speak through me. You know me. You know my flaws, my limitations. But Lord, you're greater than all things. So cleanse me, empty me. Speak your word to your women this morning with power. And Lord, when you have touched us, when you have changed us, we will give you all the honor and all the glory, knowing you're the only one who can do it. We thank you and we love you. Amen. It seems that whenever we get a group of women together, sooner or later, somebody wants to talk about singleness. Somebody wants to talk about singleness from all kinds of directions. And those directions sometimes are, what's wrong with me? Why am I still single? What don't I have? And why is it that God doesn't want to give me what they have? And now that I don't have it, what am I going to do? And you know what we'll actually talk about, to some degree, all of those things as we talk about singleness. I come to the topic with, what, 30 years or so, 20-something, 30 years of experience teaching on college campuses. So I've talked to a lot of single women over the last several years, but I also come with 30 plus years of experience of living single and living Christian. So when we talk today, understand that the issues we talk about, the things that we, we deal with, are things that I've thought about, like you've thought about, prayed about, and that I have lived and continue to live by the grace of God. So. We'll address some things. But before we do that, I have a public service announcement. You know a public service announcement before you get to. As I was driving 
I was actually driving. As I was riding to the airport, a friend was driving. She said to me, and she loves songs, and she sings all the time, and very musical. She said, I have a song for you. And I said, oh? And she said, I have a song for you, and it is, Victory is Mine. Victory is Mine. And this morning, I woke up with that in my head. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. And it occurred to me that maybe I got it because somebody else needs it. So, victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind, because victory today is mine. Joy is mine. Joy is mine. Joy today is mine. I know that joy is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind, because joy today is mine. Happiness is mine. Happiness is mine. Happiness today is mine. I told Satan to get thee behind, because happiness today is mine. When I rose this morning, I didn't have a doubt. I knew that God would bring me out. I fell on my knees, said, Lord, help me, please. And I got up singing and shouting the victory, because victory today is mine. I don't know who that's for, but if it's yours, receive it. God has promised, and he is with us as he's promised. If you have something to write on, write something for me. Complete this sentence. Give me an analogy. Singleness is like. Singleness is like. What is singleness like? Singleness is like... Okay, right. What is singleness like? Second sentence. Singleness feels like. Singleness feels like. Okay. If you're looking for some seats, there are seats up here in the front. Please be happy to come join us up front. Okay. So, your analogies. Come on in. Your analogies. Singleness is like someone. Singleness is like an adventure. Like skydiving. I might want to come back to that in a little bit. Singleness is like freedom. Okay. A roller coaster. Independence. Right? Anything else? It's an adventure. It's a roller coaster. It's like skydiving. Can I come back to the skydiving for a minute? Singleness is like skydiving. In that? You get nervous in the beginning, and as soon as you jump off, the view is better and it gets better. I'm going to have to write that down when I leave here. All right. Singleness feels like. Like preparation? It feels like the best of both worlds? How so? Oh, you can be around people when you want. You can be with yourself when you want. All right. Okay. 
Okay, it's like mountain climbing. You go up the mountain, and at some point in your singleness, you get to the top, and you take it in. Okay, so I may be talking to a group of people who don't need half of what I came to say. <laughs> Is that correct? Because singleness feels lonely, no? Yes. So where was that when I asked you? You know, it's like, we've got to say the things that we think we ought to say. You know, singleness feels like being half and missing the other half. Where was that? Relief and inadequacy. Time out. They put you in the corner <laughs> because you were bad. <laughs> I'm sorry? A roller coaster? Okay, it's exhilarating. It has its high moments, and then it has those deep drops. Last one. Singleness feels like peanut butter without jelly. Now, peanut butter, you know, I'm, I'm going to like this, though. I'm liking this a lot. And I'm liking it a lot because it gives us a good place to start. Is peanut butter a good thing? Is peanut butter healthy? Does peanut butter taste good? Now, if you're allergic, you might have to use almond butter for this analogy, okay? It's got all kinds of protein, all kinds of food value, okay? It's a wonderful thing on bread all by itself. So our analogy, this peanut butter without jelly, works for the place that I'd like us to begin. Can, you can't hear me? All right, let's try a little louder. Okay, thank you so much. And again, if you need to remind me, do that. And sometimes I think it's when I put my head down too. All right, let's start with the place that we need to begin. The first session that we did in this session for women was a session on identity. Who are we? To understand your singleness or anyone else's singleness, we have to start with the question of who are we? You understand that in the Bible, God created Adam, and at first, Adam was by himself. And at first, by himself, Adam and God had a relationship. Before God sent Eve, God and Adam were talking. God and Adam were interacting. God gave Adam a purpose before God gave Adam Eve. Do you remember that? That in scripture, Adam was enough at that moment. Adam and God were interacting. And when you stand as a woman without a man, however we want to work that, understand that the first thing we want to talk about is you in relationship to God. When you relate to God, how do you relate to him? What is the relationship between you and God? What does the Bible tell you? 
about your relationship to God. God is our father. That makes us his daughter. What does that mean to you? That love is eternal. Good fathers never stop loving their children. But it also tells you that you are the daughter of a king. You are the daughter of the king of the universe. Do you really get that? On any given day, do you walk in that? Do you understand what it means that your father owns everything? Can do everything? Thinks everything? Is brilliant? Is creative? Is outstanding? Is overwhelmingly loving? Is honest and true and kind? Do you get that? You know how little kids, my daddy can do this. I don't know about your daddy, but my daddy. And they strut in the knowledge of what their daddy can do. I think sometimes as women, we forget who our daddy is. And so we walk kind of hunched over with our heads down a little discouraged, down on ourselves. You don't have to be so proud of yourself. You can walk with your head up high because you're proud of your daddy. And because he says that all of that is for his family. He does it all for us. Am I making any sense to you? Because we're so worried sometimes about what we think we don't have that we forget what we have been given. We forget what we possess. God says, look, I created you. I made you in my image. You ever seen a little kid who looks like their father? Or a child who looks like their mother? Okay. And they come in, I, I am John John the Third. And my daddy is John John the second. I'm the third John John. You know, I look at him and I think to myself, you know, you're right. <laughs> he looks like his daddy. He acts like his daddy. Nothing in your life can take that away from you. Nothing that happens to you, nobody who comes into your life or leaves your life can take that away from you. You are, you were, and you will always be a daughter of the king. No matter what you have done, he's still your daddy. And no matter what you've done, not only is he your daddy, but he says, come on home, we'll deal with it. Just come home. Come tell me what you did so I can wipe it clean and we can move forward. Because I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you so much that you can't even believe how much I love you. Can you let me love you? That's a theme over these last few days that we're dealing with. So as we look at who we are, we can then move on to the concept of if I am who I am because of who God is, who is God? Let me ask you some things about your God. Number one, is your God powerful? Yes. Is your God good? 
Is he powerful and good? That raises an interesting question then. If he has chosen for you not to have a husband, is it because he couldn't give you one? You said he was powerful. Is it because he's not good? Okay, so are you deprived? I hear you. You know, let me say how that response came. God is good, yes. God is powerful, yes. Okay, Um, yes. Are you deprived? Uh, No. (laughs) What I'm going to suggest to you at this moment is that how you live your singleness is a statement about who your God is. Archibald McLeish wrote a play called J.B., and in his play, he said, if God is great, then he's not good. And if God is good, then he's not great. Because a good God, who's not great, has no control over bad things that happen. A great God that's not good has, permits bad things to happen because he's evil. We as Christians believe that God is both great and good. And how you live your singleness is a measure of that. The Bible says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. In James 1, he says, every good and every perfect gift comes from God. So God has given you this life, and God has given you this single life for many of you in the room. And some of you are single, never married. Some of you are single, used to be married. Some of you are single through divorce. Some of you are single through death. But you know something about singleness? The reality is that most humans will be single for a season in their life. Either before they get married, after they get married, okay? But most people will be single for a season in their life. And for some of us, it may be our entire lives. It's okay, breathe, breathe. You don't have to hyperventilate, breathe. I'm here to tell you today that you may be single for your entire life. We're going to talk about that in a moment. So, my God can supply all of your needs. So, as single people, our lives often say, God has forgotten to supply my need. There are things that I need or ought to have, and my God has somehow forgotten. He's put me in time out and said, wait to get it. Why are you single? Why are you single? Because he knows you're not ready. Okay? So it's a lack in you while you're single at the moment. Okay? Uh-huh. Because you're too picky. I'm not willing to give what's out there that God's sending me. Okay? Because it's God's will. The question of why you're single will answer a lot of how we live single. 
Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Plans not to harm you. Point number one. You are single because it is God's plan for your life at this moment. And every day in your life you are single, you will be single because it is God's plan for your life at that moment. So for 30-something years, I have been single because it is God's plan for my life. It is not God taking a pause before he gets to the plan for your life. This is not your waiting time until your life begins. This is God's plan for your life now. Is that a problem? It might not have been what you were hoping to hear. What would happen if we lived our singleness as God's plan for us? As God's gift of abundance for us? And I woke up in the morning not thinking, all right, how many more days do I have to get through? before I get to my real life? How many more days do I have to struggle through before I get to my real life? But understood that this is my real life. Whether you get married in the future or not, this is the life that God wants to shine through right now. And for some of us, our witness of who God is is brilliant in all kinds of areas. And you know Isaiah 43, where the text says, ye are my witnesses. There are other gods, and I am God, and so you are the ones who demonstrate me. And I know women who are godly women, who reflect Christ totally till they get to this area of their lives. And in this area of their lives, suddenly there seems to be a disconnect. We don't quite know how to talk about God and what God is doing in this area of our lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? That somehow, so you know what we do? We just get real quiet. We don't know what to say. You know, when people say to you, why aren't you married? And you don't know what to say. Don't you want to get married? And you don't know what to say. Okay. I don't know how to praise God in this. <laughs> I'm going to give you some answers, by the way, to those questions. So if I don't do it, somebody call me on it. Here's something you can say when they say, why aren't you married? Don't you want to get married? But before we get to that, you are God's witness. And the single life is a witness of some things that married life is not. Married life is a wonderful thing. And it witnesses some amazing things. Watching a married couple that have a great marriage, tell us some things about love and tell us some things about God that are amazing. Watching a vibrant, happy, fulfilled, single person says some things about God that are amazing. What do they say? What does a single life lived well say about God? They're content. They accept 
that God indeed is good? That you're fulfilling your purpose. All Christians are called to live their purpose. The plan that God has for you. Not in the future, not in the long-range plan, don't, don't forget, but day by day. A single life well-lived is evidence of someone fulfilling God's purpose for this time and this moment in their lives. Do you know what your purpose is? What is the call on your life? Do you know? If you don't know, let that be your prayer point during this conference and leaving this conference. God, what is my purpose? What is the call on my life right now? Not 20 years from now, 10 years from now, because we don't know where God's going to take us, but right now. You know what happens to some of us? We think we are map makers, that it is our job to write the map of our lives. We are not map makers. God makes the map. You can plan your trip, but have you ever planned a trip and you got out there and then you pulled the map out and you realized there was construction and you couldn't go the way you planned? You got on the road and you got somewhere and you realized there was a big detour? So when you make the plan for your life, understand you're planning a trip, but God wrote the map. And he has the right on that map to have anything he puts. Mountains, valleys, rivers, stop points. All of those are his. We do not take from him what belongs to him as his right. You understand that's idolatry? When I try to do what only God could do, I have made myself my own idol. So that life that you plan, that was based a little bit on Harlequin movies, okay, and romance novels, and some other things that tell us about what love and romance ought to be, do you understand that sometimes we feel deprived because we're looking for the fantasy? In our family, we say from time to time, forget the fantasy. You know, we all have these fantasies. Christmas is going to be like this. The house is going to look like this. And we're all going to do this. And we're all going to do that. And then you get home and you remember, no, that's not my family. That was a movie. Don't do that in your life. We have that fantasy. And he's going to come along. And he's going to look like this. And he's going to reach out for me like this. And he's going to give me rosies. And he's going to run the bath. And he's going to... And the man that God gives you, by the way, if he gives you one, may not bring roses and run baths. And God will still have given him to you. My God will supply all of your needs. What are the needs that you perceive you have as a single person that you believe are not being supplied? What is it that you need that God is not supplying? Now, you all sitting out there like... I don't think like that. Yes, you do. <laughs> we all do. What are some of those things? Companionship. I'm single, and I have no companion. 
Do you have companionship? Can you get companionship? Is the man the only way that we get companionship? Has God, has God placed companionship in your life? Are you making the most of it? Who are the people that God has placed in your life to walk on this journey with you? Does it really matter if they're male or female? If God has provided you companionship. But I know women who are missing the companionship that God has provided while they're waiting for the companionship they think they ought to have. So we don't build the relationships, perhaps that we ought to, because we're waiting for God to send the one. By the way, he's the only one, capital O. Yes, ma'am. Intimacy. Single women don't have intimacy. Is that true? What is intimacy? What is intimacy? Let's talk about intimacy in general, and then we'll get to the S word, the other S word. Hold that for a minute. <laughs> Single women don't have intimacy. What is intimacy? Uh-huh. Yeah, intimacy, knowing, thank you so much, I appreciate that. Knowing and being known. Someone who really knows me. Someone that I really can expose myself to. All of that I have, all that I have, and that they know me as well, and they love and accept me for who I am. Do single women have intimacy? God knows you. He wants to know you as much as you will let him know you. He knows you, and he wants you to know him. So yes, your first and most important experience with intimacy, married or single, is your relationship with Jesus Christ. You should be able to tell God everything, in any way, at any time. You should be able to show God you're ugly. Yeah, we want to come to God all. Yes, Lord. Definitely, Father. And anything you say, Father? And yes, I believe that we should be able to say those things. But we also can come like Job and others in Scripture and say, Lord, I don't get it. Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, you know, at this moment, this is making me angry. Work with my anger with me. God wants to know you totally. And he wants you to show yourself to him totally. But he also gives you intimacy with other people. There are people in your lives that God has put in your life for you to have closeness with. And usually, those are people in your family, those are friends. Let me suggest that you develop intimacy at this stage of your life as a single woman with other women. Let your emotional intimacy be with other women. Emotional intimacy with other males is problematic. With males is problematic. It's problematic at several levels. And I'm not necessarily talking right now about sexual intimacy. 
Talk about emotional intimacy, that connection. This is the person who really knows me and understands me and gets me, and I really know and understand them. One of the challenges as a single woman is being careful not to develop emotional intimacy with other people's husbands. Okay, you know what I know, right? It's easy to happen, okay? Because there are people who believe and will tell you, you know, you understand me better than she does. I can't talk to her about those kinds of things, but I can talk to you. Run, <laughs> run. Not just because the possibility of progressing to physical intimacy exists, but also because, remember the Bible tells us about lust and adultery and fornication beginning in the mind? Emotional intimacy leads us to be connected and bonded to people who, in that case, God has not given us to be connected and bonded to. Guard your heart, guard your intimacy. Be intentional about the people God has placed in your life for you to reveal yourself to who will reveal themselves to you. Okay, did I miss a hand somewhere at the back? I felt like I missed somebody. Okay. Other than intimacy, let's talk about sexual intimacy now because we're here. Okay. So, I'm single. And Lord, you know what I really don't have? I don't have sex. True. And... If I read my scripture correctly, that's not a gift he's planning to give you while you're single. <laughs> so it actually is one of those things on the list that you don't get. And so you're greatly deprived. Let me go down the whole list, of, let me tell you now. This is the only one, by the way, on the list that you don't get. So let's say, you know, there are 10 gifts in this basket. And you get nine, and you didn't get the tenth one. I'm going to stomp my feet and carry on. Because, Lord, I didn't get that one, and I want that one. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, you will survive. <laughs> You're going to make it. It's all right. And you can make it for 30 years. Thank God for his keeping power. Okay? It's not about what you did, and it won't be about what you do. Believe me, it will be about what God does. God will and can keep you. And my married friends tell me that you're missing stuff, but you're not missing as much as you think you're missing. It's a wonderful thing. Sex and marriage is a wonderful thing, and my friends attest to that. But for them, marriage is so much more that that becomes a relative small, relatively small piece of a big pie. Is it wonderful? Yes. You'll live without it. You'll live without it. Will you wake up days and think, Lord, you know, my body really, really, really would like to be with somebody else's body? Yes. But I also wake up days and I say, Lord, I'd really, really, really love to have cheesecake. <laughs> and the Lord said, what did I tell you about your dietary needs? <laughs> no. 
And so we look at the cheesecake, we turn our backs, we walk away, and we eat the fruit on the table. <laughs> the Lord said, you can have all this other stuff and not that one. Okay, Lord. So I give you that peace. And on those days where it seems like this is so traumatic and so major and such a big part of your life, those are the places and the times when it's so important to give back to God those desires that we have. Lord, this is my feeling. This is what I'm going through. I give this to you. I submit this to your greater wisdom. The same way that you have to do with diet, the same way that you have to do with dress, the same way that you have to do with all the areas of your life. Now, if you want to talk practical strategies, we can do that too. Um, you know, what do you do, how do you do it, and how do you make it work? Purity for single women requires intentionality. You've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. This does not work just naturally. We are naturally people who love to cuddle, love to touch, love to feel, right? Who are around men who love to touch, love to cuddle, and love to feel. So you have to have a plan. How am I going to do this? What do I have in place to ensure that I am faithful to God in this area? How many of you in the room are vegetarian or vegan? All right. How do you make that work? I mean, how do you make that work? I mean, hamburgers and fried chicken, and da, 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 da. how do you not eat it? Because you made a decision, you ask God for his grace to keep that decision, and you keep making that decision day by day. And after a while, that decision becomes natural because things are built in place. You know when you travel, you might have to take some food with you. You know when you get into town, you might have to look up on your phone and find out where the places you can eat. You're intentional about it. Can we be intentional about our celibacy and our chastity? God, this is something we give to you. Show me how to work it. And when you start dating people, you have to be even more intentional. What are the rules? How are we going to obey those rules? You know? How do I hold myself accountable? I have people who call me when I'm out with people who check in with me. I have people I report to when I get home. How did you do? It's a good day, yeah? How faithful to God were you? There's something about having to tell that story later that helps you. <laughs> that helps you. But you can't go certain places, and you can't do certain things. You just can't. And if you want to sp speak more specifically, we'll do it. But let's cover a couple more things. What else do you think you've been, has been taken away from you? Physical touch? Who do you hug? And who hugs you? Make sure you have some hugs. Be intentional about who. And when I say that, there is something called skin hunger that when you haven't, human beings were made to touch. And so when you don't touch people and you haven't touched people for a long time, you become much more vulnerable to the kind of touch that you're trying to avoid. Make sure there are people in your lives 
that you can touch safely and who can safely touch you. Okay. Family, friends, give those hugs to the people who are safe to hug so that they can get their quota of skin touch for the day. Okay. Make it appropriate. Do you hug kids? Are there kids in your life? One of the things we worry about as single people is being denied children. And, and that's amazing to me in some ways. Because we have decided that mothering is about having a biological child. And for many of us, if we don't have one or we're not given one, then Lord, clearly I'm not chosen to mother. My experience has been that most of us are called to mother. It's who and how. Look very carefully around you for the children God has placed in your life who need you to mother. Are there kids at your church, for example, who need somebody to take them places? Somebody who has the time that their parents may not be able to give? Are there kids at your church who need things that you might be able to purchase because as a single person you have more discretion and that family might not be able to afford? Have you ever taken a kid to the Children's Museum? It is the most exciting experience. You take this kid through the museum, and the kid is excited about this, and they're looking at that, and they're all, and it's so amazing. And I'm just having fun watching them. <laughs> and of course, I get to play too. What is it that you could give to the children that God has given to you? Some of them will be in your lives for a long time. Some of them will be in your life for a short period. Some of them may end up in your life permanently. You may be the only mother that some kids will get. Do we want to deny them that because we're worried that we don't have biological children? Are you hearing me? We're talking about God's call on our life and this season of your life and what you can do in this season of your life. There's so much open to us in this season. And one of them is children. And believe me, if your church doesn't have children, there are boys and girls clubs, there are all kinds of opportunities out there where the children who are in need of mentoring and leadership and love and affection, education, so forth and so on. All right. Let's talk, talk lastly about physical help. Well, I don't have a husband. There's nobody to help me put up the bookcase. <laughs> really? Really? One, let me suggest that you get a group of your girlfriends together and learn how to put up the bookcase. <laughs> Secondly, there are families in the church that are willing to help us if we're not so fixated on it has to be this kind of person, this kind of way. All right. I promise you some answers to questions that people ask. When I ask people what's the greatest issue in singleness, for many people it's other people <laughs> and their issues with my singleness. <laughs> in our first session, one of the things that I said is be careful about allowing other people to call you talk about you, talk to you in ways that God doesn't call you. If God does not say that my singleness is a curse, 
then you know what? If you have that issue, I respect that, but that's your issue. If God does not see my singleness as a curse, is marriage a blessing? Yes. Is marriage desirable? Yes. Are we all going to get married? No. Okay, it's probably statistically possible that all of us, all the single women in the church, will get married. I'll let it sink in. It's okay. You'll be all right. It's okay. And I'm not saying that marriage, God does not have marriage in the works for you. I'm saying you don't know. I'm saying you don't know. Yes, you had your hand up. Yes. Other people have issues, understandably. So, when people say, why are you not married? Why are you still single? What do you say? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't hear it. None of your business. <laughs> well, you remember we talked about that whole submit to each other? <laughs> the kindness, the generosity. But I understand that feeling of wanting to say, you know, if you move out of my life and my issues. However, how about I'm single because that is what God has blessed me with at this point in my life. Why are you not married? Because in this season of my life, what God has blessed me with is singleness. Don't you want to get married? You know, I'm always kind of fascinated by that when people ask me that. Don't you want to get married? Now, if I say no, what are you going to say next? Why? Okay. However, how about if and when God wills it for me and not before? I want to get married if and when God wills it for me. And I don't want to get married a moment before. So if God wills it, great. When he wills it, great. In the meantime, let's live our lives. The life that God has given to us now. When people say to me, what about children? I love them. They're wonderful. <laughs> That's what about them. You know, don't you worry about not having children. No, because I'm working hard with the ones that I have. The ones that God has placed in my life are taking up a lot of time and energy and require from me. Are, are we making some kind of connection here? Are we answering some of the questions that you're bringing to the table? One of the things that people say that they don't have is passion. Single women ought to be some of the most passionate women in the world. Passion for God, passion for other people, passion for the purpose that he has given us, and we get to throw everything that we have into it. Isn't that what Paul says? That married women have to be toward their husbands, and single women can be focused on what it is that God has placed in their hearts as their passion. If you are involved in your purpose and your passion, living your life fully, do you understand that you're preparing yourself well for marriage or singleness? Living a full single life, 
prepares you well for marriage. How so? If you can't be satisfied with yourself, how will you be satisfied with another person? Okay. Okay. Nobody wants to marry a boring person. I thought I saw another hand. What are the things that you're busy doing in your life as a single woman? You're creating a home? Are you not? I meet single women who are waiting to prepare a home. Because a real home has a husband and children. A real home is a place where humans live. If you live somewhere, then you have a home and you ought to be making it one. Does the place that you live look wonderful? Does the place that you live feel comfortable? Does the place that you live have all of the things that you can invest in making this a nurturing environment? In your home, whether it's an apartment or a room, do the people in your home, even if it's just you, eat well? You know, we're going to really cook food when we have a husband because there's nobody to appreciate it. What are you, chopped liver? <laughs> Who are your friends? They don't count? <laughs> so are you cooking good food? Are you creating a wonderful environment to live in? Are you busy working on your submission to God and other people? Are you learning how to yield? Yesterday we talked about beautiful women and all the characteristics of women who reflect the image of God. Am I developing my beauty? You're going to need it, whether you're single or married. If you're single for a long time, you know you're going to want a home. And if you're married, you and the man you live with will want a home. So either way, am I building the kind of life that if God brings somebody else, there's something for that person to connect to and move into? Or am I busy in my corner with my hands folded, Waiting. I used to talk about singleness as waiting. I no longer do that. Because I think it taps into a concept that says, life begins after this. Life is now. God has given it to you now. And you have to work with it now. There's an image in the Bible that I find very attractive when I think about singleness. Um, if you turn with me, it's 2 Samuel. I believe it's 2 Samuel 6. And it's an image that I'd like you to see in your mind. Let's go to 2 Samuel 6, verse 14. And it says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. And what's actually happening in this story is they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. And David is so excited about what God has done and what God is going to do. And he just gets all excited and he's dancing like crazy, okay, by himself in front of this crowd of people. And in this story, when you look at verse 16, and also verse 15, David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and rejoicing and the sound of the trumpet. 
And then in verse 16, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window, and he saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And in verse 20, David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today! He uncovered himself in the eyes of the handmaids and his servants. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all thy house. Therefore, I will play before the Lord. And I will be yet more vile than this and base in my own sight if I can dance before the Lord. Your singleness is a life that you live before the Lord. It's a life that you live, and if people don't understand it, that's okay. But this is the life that you are living, that God has given to you. Live it with abandon. Live it with passion. I think it's Oswald Chambers, says, Oswald Chambers who says, when the, Lord of the word of the Lord comes to you in whatever way imaginable, recklessly abandon. Can you see yourself living that kind of life? A life that's passionate? that's full, that's overflowing, that has all these gifts that other people look at you and say, ooh, you know, that's what it looks like when somebody's living a life and all they have is God. And you know what that life says to me? God is enough. God is sufficient. I want what she has. Live the kind of life that, don't, that people don't say, she wants what they've got. They say they want what you have. And what you have is God. That image of David dancing in front also gives me another image. A ballet, an orchestra, group of people playing together, group of people dancing together. And then someone is chosen to do the solo. Someone is chosen to be out front by themselves. The solo and the length of the solo differ. There are ballets where there's a whole long solo. There are choirs and orchestrations where the solo's very short. It's only for a little while. But do you realize that there's something special about ch being chosen to solo? about being chosen to do life for a season, however long that season is, by yourself with God. It's an awesome gift. It's an incredible gift. When you get, if you get, to be the one that dances the duet, that's great. It'll be wonderful. But for now, you've been asked to solo. Sharpen your instrument, practice your steps, and do it as David did to the Lord. That's what he's asking for you. The same thing he asks everyone. Live your life to the Lord. Well, it says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. Are you living an abundant life? Is there an area of your life that's sort of packed away in the corner where the abundance exists over here and the poverty is over there? 
pull your singleness into that life of abundance. Offer your singleness to God as a gift. Yes, it costs you something, but I'm here to tell you marriage will cost you something else. Life costs. David said, I will not offer anything that costs me nothing. So yes, there's some cost, but the gifts, the joys, if we allow them to be, are overwhelming. I'm going to close with an experience. Those of you who were here yesterday know that yesterday morning, by accident, quote unquote, the bath was run for me. And I had a bath. And I was all excited. As you know, bathing in a real bathtub is pampering. Yesterday I got a rose. Pink rose. Did my presentation. And after the presentation, I think it was the first one, somebody in the audience, and I don't know who she is, and I'm just kind of excited about her, brought me, and I meant to bring it today, and I didn't, and I apologize, a pink paper rose made out of notebook paper. And it's gorgeous. And she handed it to me and walked away. And I didn't think about it much. I was talking to people, and I put it down. And I got back to the room, and I put it on the thing next to the bed. And when I woke up this morning, and I opened my eyes, and I turned over, I had a rose. I had a pink rose. And I was reminded years ago, I spoke somewhere, and I spoke about boxes. And one of the young ladies at the high school made me a paper box. And she gave it to me. And she had no idea what it meant. I had been very discouraged. I said, God, I'm not getting through to people. In fact, I called my mother and I said, Mom, I want to come home. Now, when you're doing weaker prayer, you should not call your mother and tell her you want to come home. <laughs> and my mother, bless her heart, God gives us saintly people in our lives, said, no, you're not coming home. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're successful or not. Are you faithful? You know, mouth shut. Go back to work. And that evening, this young lady handed me this box, this little paper box. And I heard it as God saying, you know what? I'm working. You stop worrying and let me work. So I looked at this paper rose this morning and I'm saying, you know, God, it's another paper thing. You're working. I need to stop worrying and let you work. Last night, I had food delivered to my door. One of the people in, in the audience we were talking later last night, and I was tired, and I didn't realize how tired I was. She said, can I get a meal for you? And I said, you know, I was tempted to say, no, don't do that. Take the love when it comes. And so I said, yeah. Having no idea that that's how far it was going to go, she got up, she went out, she went to a place, got me vegan Vietnamese food. It was good. It was good. And delivered it. And delivered it literally to my door. And I sat in bed and I ate vegan Vietnamese food. <laughs> so what am I saying? We feel so deprived. Because, Lord, I don't have a man to run a bath for me. I don't have a man to bring me flowers. And I don't have a man at the end of the day when I'm tired to go out and get me food. I don't have a man to do those things. But I have a God who knows that sometimes... I need roses.
Sometimes I need food delivered to my door. Sometimes I need a bath run and to luxuriate and be taken care of. Does he do that for me every day? No. But when you get a husband, he's not going to do it for you every day either. <laughs> Sometimes God just says, let me love on you. You're my child. You're my daughter. You're my single princess. And I know you don't have a man. So let me love on you. And sometimes we're so busy watching for the man that we miss the God. We're so busy missing the man that we reject the God. No, Lord, I don't want that from you. I want it from a man. And I'm not going to take it from you because you didn't give me a man. My challenge to you, two things. Let God love you. Let God love you the way that he wants to love you, extravagantly and without end and continuously. And then let that love flow through you to the people he's given you. The children, the other women, the families. Let that love flow out in incredible ways. So that if marriage comes, you're ready because you know how to love extravagantly. And if it doesn't come, you don't have to worry because you just keep living the life that God has given you. You just keep living the joy that God has given you. So as you leave, victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind because victory today is mine. Joy is mine. Joy today is mine. I told Satan, get me behind because joy today is mine. Leave here and walk in the victory. Walk in the joy. Enjoy the solo for as long as it lasts. Let God love you and shine through you. Witness what a Christian single life looks like. Shall we pray? God, I hope as we've worked together today that what we've done more than anything else is to lift you up. I hope, Lord, that in the midst of all of our talking, what we've done more than anything else is to show who you really are. And Lord, if I fail to do that, Holy Spirit, do it in my place. Let no woman leave here today without having a better understanding of who you are and how much you love us. Lord, the life you have given to us as single women is not always rosy. Sometimes we're lonely. Sometimes we feel cold. Sometimes we hear these voices around us and we feel that we're not enough and we've done something wrong or we've somehow failed. And we thank you that your word reminds us that we are enough, that we are the women that you died for, that you say in Isaiah you would give your whole life for and nations for us. 
just the way we are, in the place where we are. And Lord, we want to thank you for placing us where we are because you did it intentionally. You did it with purpose. And you did it because you have a work for us to do in the season of life that we are. We want to submit to you for your guidance. Give each woman in this room, Lord, such a strong sense of the work that you have given to her in the place that you've put her. And then, Lord, shine through us. Shine through us. Touch the people around us, the men, the women, the children, the people on our jobs. Touch people in such a way that they look at us and they want what we have because what we have is you. Thank you for being enough. We thank you and we love you. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference when all has been heard in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.